0: Well, hey, good morning. It's uh, really good to be here. I'm Jesse, as Mark said, and I'm excited and thrilled to be able to share God's word with you. And uh, it's my first time getting up, and so I just want to share a little bit about me, uh, just because I know I've gotten to know some of you over the last several weeks. Um, but I'm from California I originally, grew up there um, as the Steph family got up there. This foster care is actually a huge part of my story. Um, my, me and my, my, my brother back there were actually all fostered and adopted into my family. And so that's a huge part of my story. And my parents, uh, they mean the world to me today that they did that. So um, came here three years ago in 2018. I left a, a ministry, was let go from a ministry position. Uh, left California kind of on the brink of giving up my faith. Uh, a really dark time in my life, and yet God used this time in Colorado to really bring me back to him. I got plugged into a church. I have a a best friend that I live with. I live with my brother and my best friend out here, and God used that time to really uh, bring me back to him. So it's been a a crazy journey. Uh, Right before COVID started, I was actually working at Project 127. We were working with foster care and adoption. It's a huge passion of mine. And so it's been kind of a journey, and I've started Denver Seminary uh, this year. So, um, if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 17. And if you don't know what Matthew chapter 17 is, I'm just going to give you a quick sneak peek. It's, it's about Jesus' transfiguration. And I'm not going to lie, when Mark said that you're going to go up and preach and this was going to be your first passage, I was kind of like froze for a second. I was like, are you serious? Okay, alright, this guy's for real, he just doesn't want to preach, you know, know. so it it kind of freaked me out. I was like, oh my goodness. So, as I prayed and I studied, I really actually believe that there is something powerful for us this morning in this passage. And I believe that there is tension in Matthew as we've been going through with the disciples. There's tension in in chapter 16 as we lead up to these events that the disciples are, are comfortable with a certain version of Jesus. That is Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the Savior, kind of coming to rescue them. And Peter, as we just discovered in Matthew chapter 16, is is fine with Jesus as the Messiah, but then tries to put Jesus into a box. And Jesus rebukes and confronts Peter. He makes a startling demand and says, if you're going to follow me, a life in in the kingdom, being a disciple, you're going to have to actually take up your cross. Not a popular message in first century Judaism. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to live a life of self-denial. This is what it means to be a follower. Not exactly a popular message of hope with what the disciples were looking for. And I believe, like these demands, as we see the picture of Jesus, can be just downright offensive. Because everything in our life is, is about us, right? It's about our decisions. It's our. It's my career. It's my future. It's my time. It's my home. It's my possessions. It's my life. And, and nobody gets to tell us what to do with our lives. And here comes Jesus saying, hey, if you want to actually find life, you're going to have to die. You have to give it up. It's scandalous. It's offensive. Who does Jesus think he is? What gives him the right to make such a demand on us this morning? And before we jump into Matthew 16, I, I want us to feel that tension this morning. I want us to feel that. Do we feel uncomfortable with that? Do we feel ourselves a resistance when Jesus says, hey, you, gotta, you have to die to yourself? Because everything in life is about ourselves, right? We spend so much time, we're being real, thinking about ourselves all the time. This is what we do. And I think my hunch is as we go into this chapter, I think we love the version of Jesus where it's kind of convenient sometimes, where it's, it's on the peripheral, it's convenient, it's when he, we need him. We love Jesus, the, the, the version of Jesus in the New Testament where he bails us out, and yet, I believe that Jesus wants to show us something, a bigger picture here in Matthew chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read verse 1. It says this. Now after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So six days from these events that just took place in chapter 16, it's really easy to miss the imagery right here. That's being communicated by Matthew. Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience. And there's some amazing symbolism and significance in the fact that Jesus is taking his disciples on a mountain. Not a hill, a high mountain. And as any good Jew, they would not miss the significance of this. Because it is on the mountain in the Old Testament that God reveals himself in powerful ways. You might recall in Exodus chapter 33 where, where Moses is, is camping outside the, up there on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. The people of God are camping outside and God shows his glory. In fact, Moses in Exodus chapter 33 asked God, show me your glory. And God says, you cannot see my face, Moses. If you saw my face, you would die. That is how awful and terrifying this picture of God's glory is in the Old Testament. And you might recall the story that after Moses catches just a glimpse of God's glory, he comes down the mountain and his face is shining. It's so bright that they have to put a veil on his face. That's how bright his face is. You might think of another mountain in the Old Testament. It comes with the prophet Elijah. Elijah has this epic confrontation with the prophets of Baal. This huge victory. And then he comes back discouraged. He's exhausted. He feels alone. And God shows up in a tangible way on a mountain. First Kings nineteen, eleven through twelve, I love this passage. I think it's on the screen. God said to, to Elijah, then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains, and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. God, in the Old Testament, time and time again, shows up on a mountain, and here's Jesus taking his disciples on a mountain. And he's about to do something significant. And I believe he's trying to show us something this morning. Would you keep reading with me? And Jesus was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Good old Peter. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. There is a a lot happening here in this text. And if you're like me when I read my Bible in the New Testament, like just full full confession, I usually like to read a passage like this and just kind of move on really fast because I'm kind of like, what the heck's happening here? And I kind of like to jump and I, I think there's so much that's happening. We like to just kind of push away from that. And I, I think part of my nervousness teaching this passage is I think I like teaching the, where Jesus heals lepers and, and, and Jesus you know, walks on water. There's, I don't know, there's this, these things that were common. We often, I don't think, talk about passages like these. Because I think it represents a picture of Jesus that we might not quite be comfortable with because we don't exactly know what's taking place here in this scene, right? This scene is epic and wild in Matthew 17, right? We don't really know what transfigured quite means, but like Jesus is like transformed. His glory is shining. The disciples are catching a glimpse of God's glory that has been hidden in the humanity of Jesus up to this time. And you gotta like, put yourself in their shoes, right? His face is shining. This is the guy that they've been walking on earth with, living life with. And all of a sudden, like Elijah and Moses show up. Like what the heck is going on? And I think Peter's response is so, is so funny, right? Peter doesn't know how to respond. In the gospel of Mark, it says that he's speaking and he doesn't really know what he's saying. Matthew seems to shed some better light on it, right? That Peter's like maybe trying to, you know, be hospitable, has no idea how to respond. He's terrified. He's in shock from the scene, I think theologically, this, this passage, right, there's a, we're catching a glimpse of Jesus' glory that is being unmasked before, on this side of earth, before his resurrection, before the crucifixion that he's gonna go to. And these events unfold, and the disciples are catching a different picture of Jesus. Not just Jesus as the good teacher. Not just Jesus as the, the, the man, the, the, the prophet, But Jesus, as the glorious God, the same God that was revealed in the Old Testament on the mountains to Moses to Elijah, you see, this version of Jesus for me, like it's it's kind of more scary because this version of Jesus goes beyond my control. It transcends my understanding. It breaks down the, the, this like safe barrier of Jesus is just like my homeboy, the safe version of Jesus that sometimes I reduce him to. Because this, this scene that's being painted by Matthew, right? This is God, omnipotent, all-powerful, glorious God. All of a sudden, this epic scene unfolds. And I think sometimes in church, we think about God's glory as like this safe thing, right? Like, oh, I love God's glory. You know, and I think it's the same thing with, like, angels. Like, we think, like, angels are, like, the cute thing that we, like, want to invite inside our doors. But, like, yet yeah, in the New Testament, whenever an angel is introduced, right, an angelic being, there's, like, there's just terror. Right? Like, people are so afraid. It's not like they just, like, look like the things on your Christmas ornaments. Right? There's something terrifying about God's glory. And I think we see that picture in the Old Testament. You might recall Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has this vision from the Lord. And he's there seeing holy, holy is the Lord. And he says, This woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Because God's glory, He's undone by the glory that God reveals. This is a terrifying experience. It leaves the disciples on their knees in terror because Jesus is glorious. This is the picture that that Matthew wants us to see, that Jesus is glorious. When he makes these demands, he's not just a teacher, he's God, Jesus is Lord. He's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. Matthew's trying to give us the picture. He's He's not just saying good things from the Old Testament. He's not just trying to teach a new way of life. He is God. He's greater than all the heroes back in the Old Testament. He's greater than Moses, he's greater than Elijah is the same God that revealed himself on the mountain, and all of his power and all of his glory. Jesus is glorious. And he wields unlimited power and he causes us, right? To, if we feel our smallness to his glory and his greatness. You guys don't know much about my life yet. And for me, I've had, I've had a, an interesting road. I grew up in church I was kind of the good old two, two, good, goody two-shoe kid. And I think for me, after college, is kind of that, that prodigal moment. My brother's nodding his head. He's like, yep, goody two-shoe. <laughs> and for me, after college, I, I kind of wandered from the faith. I really had a hard time after college. And, and I remember when I was 19, we had this missionary conference at my school. And there was this preacher, he got up and he shared this passage from Moses and he, he always emphasized this prayer like, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And I don't know, I was 19 and I, don't, I didn't listen to half the things he said, but I remember that prayer and there, it, it ended up being a theme in my life because you see, when I, when I chased after I graduated college, I, I chased hard the world. I partied, I drank, I did everything wrong, <laughs> literally everything wrong. And as I chase and I chase after anything in the world, I felt more empty inside me. And I remember that, that God, show me your glory, because I, I wanted something more. My faith had just been this, this casual thing to the side. It just, it, I don't know, it just been this convenient thing that I needed. I grew up in church, it was more of just a, a formality at times. And I remember those empty feelings and praying this prayer, God, show me your glory. And I think there is something powerful in that. Because sometimes our faith feels boring. <laughs> When we just think of like Jesus as like this self-help, you know, how to make my life better. And there is just something so profound of like, God, show me your glory, your vastness. Because it's his glory that often transforms and shapes our lives. And I remember just those moments that this, this prayer came up and God began to shape me and God began to change my life in that season. Because God been, showed up in powerful ways in my life and this is where the disciples struggle, right? Because they have this version of Jesus that's really safe. What version of Jesus do you feel most comfortable with this morning? Because Peter and the disciples keep making this mistake of putting Jesus in their own box. And I think if we're being honest, don't we do the same? I don't want us to miss the imagery that Matthew is using in this passage. Read with me in verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What a beautiful picture! There's just this, this, this awful scene of God's glory being displayed, right? There is this incredible revelation of, of God, the Jesus, all of a sudden showing a demonstration of his glory. And the disciples are cowering in fear, right? There's this, this, this distance when we see God's glory. Because anytime in the Old Testament, God's glory, right? We shudder. There's this distance that's created because we can't comprehend it. But yet now that glory has been revealed in Jesus, and here's what does Jesus do? He reaches down and touches them. Isn't that the gospel? That Jesus came, right? The glory of God that he's come. Emmanuel, God with us. That the glory of God can now be, can be grasped through the person of Jesus. As Isaiah says, his ways are higher than our ways. His glory is everlasting. This is the same God that spoke the earth into motion. As we live in Colorado, I'm a California native. I, I, I get freaked out by, by weather, <laughs> But like lightning and thunder, right? They're just mere displays of his power. Because Jesus is the son of the living God. Hebrews 1.3 on the screen is going to say this. That he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Paul's going to say in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus, the same Jesus revealing himself today to the disciples, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the right response, right? There's men and women struggling in terror and fear before the glory of God. Because He is God, we are not. This is Jesus, what he came to do. He's Yes, Jesus is our savior. But yes, he's also Lord, he's glorious. And as we think about Matthew 16, we think about discipleship, we think about following him, we... It makes it almost look more pathetic sometimes that we try to usurp his throne. This is the all terrifying glorious power of God and we try to take his throne because it's not what sin is, right? Rebellion against God, trying to assert ourselves as the, the rulers of our own universe. One of my favorite uh, authors that writes books, his, his name's A.W. Tozer, he writes this. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain keen within the little kingdom and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar. How does Jesus respond to us this morning? He reaches down and he touches us and he says, do not fear. This is the gospel. God with us, the flesh, that he came to save us, that not, that to, to rescue us, to, to be with us, that he meets us right in the middle of our messes. He meets us right in the middle of brokenness. He doesn't wait for us to clean in a mirror wrong, right? This is his plan, the glory of God coming in Jesus to come and rescue us, to come and save us. Because this is the God that pursues his people, that has now come near to us in the person of Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The same hands that touch the lepers, the same heart that, that breaks for the lepers, that breaks for the least of these in the world. God with us. Jesus is glorious. Perhaps one of the the greatest passages that demonstrates this is Philippians chapter two. It says this, Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel for us this morning, the God who came down for you and me. In Christ, we now behold his glory. May God continue to show us his glory. As a, as a way of response, just to conclude this morning, there's a lot in this passage. We could talk about this a lot. And I think there's, there's two realities that I came across in my own life, that, that God is near, God is imminent, that God is near to us. And the other side of it, God is also glorious, he's powerful, he's transcendent, he's, he's, he's different than anything that we could experience in this earth, and, and I think we hold these, these truths in, in tension, and sometimes we, we emphasize one over the other. And sometimes when we think of God just as near, and you know, we think of like Jesus kind of being just the good teacher, we kind of focus on, on, on getting you know, those principles to become a better life, and how does, how does God fit my box? kind of like my self-help coach. Sometimes we, we focus on that. When we, we think of God's transcendence, his, his distance, we kind of think of sometimes like the fear of the Lord. He's holy. We kind of think of um, his justice and mercy. But the picture that we see is, right, Jesus came to save. Jesus, Savior. But Jesus is also Lord. And this is the picture that Jesus wants to show his disciples. This is the picture that Jesus wants to show us. And I don't know where you're at this morning as we, we hold these tensions. Some of you guys might feel God is distant. Maybe someone to be feared. Maybe you just feel abandoned during this season. Maybe you've lost a job during this season of life. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe there's some hard relationships going on with your family, your marriage. Things are breaking apart and you feel like God is distant. God has abandoned you. The promise of scripture today is that now God is near with Jesus. Be encouraged, my brother and sister. You are not alone this morning. Some of us, others this morning, we need to re-examine what it means for Jesus to be Lord again. We need to get this picture again and remind ourselves Jesus is glorious. And maybe that prayer needs to be part of our weekly rhythms, right? Like, Jesus, show me your glory sometimes it's hard, right? The day-to-day, the grind-to-grind, living in Parker, family life, it gets busy, I get it. But maybe you try to fit Jesus into your life and make him fit your schedule, your agenda. He loves, uh, he loves you too this morning. He's not stopping to pursue. And he's asking us for greater and greater surrender to him. Because his burden is light, his yoke is easy, as we keep saying in Matthew, that Jesus is committed to our joy his authority is not bondage. It's joy. It's freedom. Because life is found in Him as we die to ourselves. You are alone this morning, so be encouraged. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is glorious. Let me leave you with this quote by uh, Pastor uh, John Piper. Uh, he's an author. I know some of you have probably heard of him. He writes this. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there or will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel My prayer for us this morning is that we would be wrecked by the glory of God each day in our lives, that we might respond and worship him for his glory because his glory moves us, it shapes us, it transforms us. This is the gospel, God is near. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. Thank you that you are the God that continues to pursue us even in the midst of our brokenness, our stubbornness, in the midst of our pride. We thank you that you are glorious. And the God, this has just been a hard year for almost everybody in some type of way. And God, we need that reminder that you're glorious, that our hope is not in the things of this world, but it is in a, in a Savior, in a God that never stops pursuing his people. And our, our hope is secure in Christ this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.